these four promises. Um, if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and watch last week so I don't have time to re-preach that message. Because when we're talking about the four promises today, we're going into the second one. I'm going to give you a little bit of, of background on the first one, but we're digging in. We're going to keep walking into these things, these things that God has for us. Uh, John 10.10, 10, Jesus made a promise. He, he made a word about himself to us, and this is what he said. I have come, which means he did. He showed up. He walked on this planet. He died. He rose again. That's Jesus. He has come that we may have life and have it to the what? Have it to the full, the full life. And that's what we're talking about, this whole idea of fulfillment, that God is a God who keeps his promise. He will fulfill every promise he's ever made. That's who God is. That's his character. That's, 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 he can't go against anything he said. He is true. He is right. He is pure. And he will always fulfill the things that he says he will do. So if Jesus said that he came that we may have life to the full, I believe we can have a full life. And I think, he meant, I think he meant it two ways. I think we can have a fulfilled life while we're here on this planet, which seems hard because this, this planet's hard. Like, life is hard. We go through hard things. But I do believe that we can be like the kingdom of heaven in this broken, hard world that we live in and that we will be fulfilled in eternity, forever. That'll be the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise in all of our lives when we walk into him and walk into his promise. Because I think if all of us, if I asked anybody, if you go anywhere around, like, town and just say, hey, would you like to live a life of fulfillment I mean, what would the answer be? Yes, of course. I mean, we all long for that. We all long to live a life that matters, a life that makes sense, a life that we feel fulfilled in, that, that things make sense. And, um, and what we're teaching on through this series are four promises that God has given us that I believe wholeheartedly, when we walk into these four things, we begin to live that full life, that life of fulfillment, that life that God had for you, the purpose and plan he has for you. And so that's why we're unpacking this through this uh, season and through this series, and it's going to lead us right to Easter, because Easter Sunday, man, we're blowing the lid off the place, right? When we celebrate Easter as, as Christ followers, that is why we believe what we believe, what happened on Easter Sunday, the resurrection, that Jesus is alive, he's not dead, he is alive and active and well, amen? And so, so we're, we're talking about this, that we want to have the life that God has for me. So let me remind you um, what the promises are. If you have your notes on your worship programs every week, we give you a program that has notes in it, fill in the blanks uh, to follow along with so you can go back during the week and be reminded, okay, what did I learn? What did God tell me? What did I hear? Um, and, uh, and so I'm going to remind us what these four promises are, okay? And they're based out of Exodus chapter 6. These were the promises that God gave to the Israelites who had been living in the land of slavery for over 400 years. And in that 400 years, they became a slave nation under Egypt and Pharaoh. And so this greater nation of Egypt, um, they were then the ones who were controlled by Pharaoh and they were slaves. And God didn't like it. And he said, I'm going to set you guys free. I'm going to get you out of there. And you guys know Big Mo grew up, right? Moses. And uh, he came back, did what God told him, and he set the people free. He took them out of Egypt, and now they're in the desert. Before all that happened, he gave them these promises. He said, here's what I'm going to do for you. And that's the thing with promises, is God saying, this is what I want to do for you. <laughs> but every promise has a premise. There's something we do to walk into the promise. Does that make sense? And that's what we're going to learn today, a little bit of this tension of how do we walk into these promises so we can experience God's promise in it, Okay. And so here are the four that he shared with them. He said to Moses, go tell the people, this is what my, I want to do for them. He says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. 
He wanted to remind them, it's me, I'm the Lord. I'm, I want to be with you guys. He says, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That was promise number one. I just want to bring you out, get you out of there. And then I will free you from being slaves to them. And it sounds similar to the first thing he said, but it's not as different. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I will redeem you, he says, with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. God's going to show his power in their presence and prove that he is their Lord and redeem them. And then the last thing he says is, and I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord. He's reminding him again. I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out from the, under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now, these four promises that he gave to the Israelites, he fulfilled. Actually, um, we're going to talk about this more as we get closer to Easter. These four promises, the Jews even today, when they celebrate Passover... When they celebrate Passover, they drink from four different cups during the Passover meal, the Seder meal. And as they do that, each one of these cups they drink from actually represents one of these promises, one of these four. And we're going to get closer to that because it's a pretty cool reminder that, that Jesus, when he gets into the Passover and he's in the upper room with his disciples, he changes things up. That's in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to have an, that Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, so Palm Sunday is going to be an experiential Sunday. We're going to do some things really, really cool together, and I'm, I'm really excited about that Sunday. Um, but that's what they do to remind themselves of these four promises as the Jews. They're like, this is what God did, and he did it so he'd remind us who brought us out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, that they're no longer in that land of slavery. Now, for us, these promises take on a new form because this is Old Testament, and these were the promises he gave to the Jews, the very specific people at a very specific time. But these four promises equate to the, still the same promises he keeps. New Testament, after Jesus has done what he's done and set us free. And, uh, and so we are equating these to what we do here at New Hope, these promises. Because the first one was last week, which was connected, the whole idea of salvation. He says, I will bring you out from Egypt. And that was promise number one. He just wanted to get him out of Egypt, right? Just get the heck out of there. You don't want to be underneath Pharaoh. You don't want to be in that land any longer. Let's just get you out. And that's what he did. Promise number one, cross the Red Sea on dry land. That would have been a cool experience, you know? I've seen it in movies, you know? Probably my favorite scene was the uh, animated version of the story. Like, this just, I don't know, it was really cool. Um, I, could you imagine that? Just, just God's power going ahead of you as a people and crossing over into this new place and in this new land. He says, I will bring you out. Today, that promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And for us, isn't salvation from actual slavery, it's salvation from slavery to sin. It's that when you don't know Jesus, you are a slave to sin. Sin owns you. That you have sin. We all have sin. And if we don't have Christ, if there's no forgiveness for sin, if there's no way to get out of sin or, be, or have our sin covered in God's holy and perfect presence, we are slave to it. It owns us. And it owns our destiny, honestly. And promise number one, Jesus said, I just want to get you out of sin. I want to save you. And he did it. That's what we talked about last week. I'm, I'm going to do it. I wasn't going to, but I'm bringing out the puppet. Everybody ready for the puppet? Okay, because if you weren't here last week, oh, shoot, he's all tangled up. I should have practiced here first. So if you weren't here last week, um, let me pull it over here so he's in the camera shot. All right. Do you guys remember the puppet last week? Who was here last week? Remember the puppet? All right. Um, anybody have weird dreams? Um, <laughs> No, okay, good. I just want to be sure. Don't want to freak anybody out. Because the whole idea was a puppet was they were in slavery and somebody else controlled them, right? And so they didn't have control of themselves. Right? They were forced to do whatever Pharaoh said. And this is what sin is. Sin controls us. 
And what we talked about last week is this first promise is that Jesus said, no, I don't want you to be slave to sin. And then I flip this up and see that the puppet looks up at the cross. And this cross represents Jesus Christ. That he, when we change our gaze from our sin to Christ, forgives us. He makes us new. He makes us right. He cleans us and forgives us forever. That's promise number one. He wants to connect with us in relationship and for us to have freedom by his blood shed for us, payment for our sin now and forever. Amen. Isn't that awesome? And so we now, when we change our gaze to the cross, we change our allegiance. No longer are we slave to sin. We're slave to Christ. I'd rather be slave to someone that says, I'm the one that said I'll give you life to the full. I'll look at that every day rather than the one that said, no, I'm going to control you and make you slave to me, sin. So we're changing our gaze to Christ. Cool? All right. So if you missed that, there you got a little extra bonus. I wasn't going to do it, but I did it. Um, So that is promise number one. And for us, it's connect. It means that the lost get found. That's what we want people to experience around here. We want you to experience the gospel. And if you don't know Christ, we want you to know Jesus. That's, that's, That's what we do around here. And then the second thing he said, though, is that then I will free you from being slaves. It's a little different. The first one is, I just want to get you out of Egypt. The second one is, now I want to get Egypt out of you. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Meaning, you still can think like you're a slave to sin. You, the way you think is still like the way you've lived forever. And so our word for that is grow into freedom. We want you to grow. God wants you to grow. He wanted the Israelites to grow. We're storing through that today. And this is where we say the found get freed. Move from just being saved to now having salvation own you. And you get freed from the things that hold you captive to this world and sin and death. That's freedom. Everybody with me? Okay, I'm trying to give us a really good. And then, then he said, I will redeem you. We'll talk about this next week. And, and redeem, the whole, I love the word redeem. It means redeem is to put back to original intent. That's what God wants to do. He had original intent for the Israelites in relationship with him. He's like, I want to redeem you and bring you back to that. I want to be with you. And that's what he wants for you. He wants to be with you. He wants to redeem what the enemies try to use for evil and brokenness and sin in your life. He wants to actually take that to his original intent. He has a purpose a fulfillment, a purpose for your life, everything you've experienced, whether good or bad, to use it for his glory. That's redemption. And for us, we want to see you redeem the things in your life because once it's redeemed, you're no longer just thinking about you. You're thinking about others. Does that make sense? Your perspective changed and you start to live um, a life where we say you start to serve others. Freed people serve others. When you walk in freedom and God redeems it, now what can I do? How can I help? How can I bless the people around me? All right? That's promise three. And the last promise we see is this. He says, and I will make you my own people. And I still love this because that was his intent in the garden. From the very beginning, it'll be his intent. What he'll fulfill in the end of all things. He wants relationship. He wants a people. In the past, it was a certain group of people. New Testament, Jesus said, I want all people. I'm going to open the doors. Whoever you are, here's the gift. And you can join and you can be one of my people and that's where I think fulfillment happens, when we are his people. And we use the word go because we believe that his people are sent to this world to be him, to bring the kingdom of heaven to this broken earth. That's what we're called to do. And we believe that God's people then love the community. We love people because God's calling all sorts of people to be his people. Connect, grow, serve, and go. Those are the four promises we walk into of what he promised thousands of years ago. He fulfilled him in Jesus. And so now we're going to go into promise number two, okay? Is everybody ready now? Okay, everybody on the same page. Because I think for some of us in this room, this may be the first time you've ever heard anything like this at all, 
And a lot of this is kind of like aha moments, like, whoa, wait, oh, that's really good. And I could probably pray and go home, right? Like, that was really good. These promises are good. Um, but let's get into it, okay? Let's get into um, to, to the second promise, connect, grow, which is this path of freedom, this path of freedom. So let's jump into the story with the Israelites, okay? Israelites, last week, they were just freed from slavery. Now they're in this new land. They're, they're in the desert. They're out of Egypt. And um, imagine if you were the Israelites in that, in that point of the story, because they were promised things from God, and they were also promised that God was taking them to a land that he promised them, this new place. And so I, I don't know about you. When somebody tells me they're going to do something, I start having expectations, right? what it's going to look like, what the experience is going to be. And, and uh, maybe, um, have you ever been on a vacation that the dream of it was way better than the reality? Has anybody ever been on one of those vacations, right? Like, you, those are the ones you remember because of the, the stories that you make as a family because you're like, oh, yeah, I remember when you threw up in the back of the van and it stunk the whole trip and blah, blah, blah. Like, anybody? All right, all right. Or the, when they're toddlers and poopy diaper stories and, ah, you know, like, I'm glad we're out of that zone and... Um, long out of that zone but I think that's what was going on with the Israelites they were given promises and now they're out of slavery of Egypt they're out of the land and they probably have some expectation what it's going to be like when they get to the other side where are we going to be what's it going to look like I mean we're going to be in control not Pharaoh and so I can imagine them as they're in this land they're starting to dream a little bit about what this could be we're going to see in this moment is that their dream and the reality of their experience in this moment, there's a gap. It's different. It's different. And, um, and so, so now they're in there, and so let's, let's read where they're at. If you want to join me, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 16, okay? I always say bring your Bibles every week, and um, I would encourage you. Uh, you can read through the whole book of Exodus um, during this series. You can, you can read the, the story by yourself. There's a lot in it. There's a lot that goes on in it. So I paraphrase as I story through some of it. Um, but, uh, but this is where we're at in this point, in Exodus chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 1 through 4. All right, so, so they were in this land, in the desert, and now they're going to a new place in the desert um, as they're trying to wander and figure out what the next step is, is what it says. It says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which doesn't sound like a place you want to be, right? Uh, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So they've been out there a little bit, and now they're, they're crossing, they're, they're traveling. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. This is where you feel bad for Moses, right? He's like, I'm just doing what God told me, right? Like, like Moses is just like, you know, God told me to take you guys out here, and now here we are. Could you imagine Moses' role? Millions of people he just pulled out, and now they're all grumbling against him. That'd be frustrating. That'd be frustrating. Him and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, listen to these words very carefully. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. <laughs> Things went south real quick, didn't it? <laughs> like, like, here's God's promise. We're going to do this. We're going to this land, and we have this expectation, and now you're going to kill us, Moses? I'm hungry. Have you ever been hungry on a trip? What happens when you're really hungry? You get 
hangry, right? That's a new word that we have, I think it's in the dictionary now probably, right? It's hangry, like, ah, we're just mad. And that's where they were. They were getting hangry, like, we're going to die now, thank you. Why couldn't we have just died in Egypt? If we're going to die here, at least we would have died around pots of food and not out here being starving to death, starving to death. Now, when I read these stories in the Old Testament, sometimes you think, man, they are so stupid, right? Like, like, like don't they see, like, what's going on? And, and the reality is they didn't. They were living in it, you know? And, and then I realized, I am so stupid, right? Like, like I, I do these things too. I walk into these things with God, and I have in my past and even in my present, where, like, I doubt or I get frustrated or it's like, ah, why isn't this working? Or why isn't this working the way I want it to? And, and so I, I want to unpack three things this morning. I, it's three realities of the journey to freedom. Because that was God's goal here, to free them, right? That was the second promise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set you free from slavery. I'm going get, to get it out of you. And, uh, and there's three things that we're going to see that they experienced in that process, in the freedom. But the first one is difficult, okay? Because those of you in here, maybe you've walked into salvation, but still there's things that aren't right. Things that's like, God, you brought me here, but man, this isn't what I wanted. This wasn't the expectation I had. This wasn't the land I wanted to live in. Like, what's going on? And this is, I think, the first challenge, okay? You can write this down. The, the first reality of the journey to freedom is that there's, there's this power, and it's the power of the familiar over freedom. The power of familiar over freedom. There's something comfortable with the familiar. The Israelites are in their minds glorifying the land of slavery, right? They're like, we, we were under Pharaoh, we had to make bricks every day, and then they killed our babies, and then we had to bring our own straw, but we had pots of meat, right? So it's like that one good thing was like, oh, I kind of forgot about all the bad things because I, I was familiar with our life back in Egypt. I knew what to expect. I knew what was going to be happening. And, and so even though it was hard and difficult, at least we had meat. At least we could, why don't we just go back there? And even if we died there, it would have been better than out here in the desert land. They were more comfortable with the familiar rather than walking towards the path of freedom because of what they were experiencing in the middle of the journey, right? I think for some of us in this room, maybe you've experienced salvation, but you still have hurts and habits, Right? You still have things that's like, I'm walking towards Jesus, but man, I remember when, like back there, that was kind of fun. Like that, that thing we did, remember that was hilarious. Uh, when we all got drunk and wasted and you did this and you tripped over and you almost drowned. That was hilarious, right? Like, like we remember these stories of like brokenness and then we kind of glorify them. Like that was awesome, but really it wasn't. But there's this thing about us that actually prefers familiar over freedom. I, I wrote this down that no matter how dysfunctional there is security in what we experientially know no matter how dysfunctional there is a there is a sense of security in what we experientially know whether it's good or bad right or wrong broken or fixed what whatever we know whatever we're familiar with we have this tendency to want to go back to and I see this pattern. You know, we, you probably know some people like this. It's, it's like whenever a child grow, uh, grows up in a really dysfunctional home where there's heavy abuse. And maybe it's a young girl that grows up in an abusive family. When she gets older, she chooses an abusive partner. And to continue and perpetuate what she experienced in the past. And you're like, why, why are you making those choices? 
for this very reason. There's this weird comfort in what you've experienced because that's what you know. And so, like, I'm going to go back to what I know, which is, like, when I get beat, at least he's still there. And he comes back and he kisses me because that's what they experienced in the past. Does that make sense? It's like inmates that spend years and years in prison and then they finally get set free. They finally get out, but they have no idea how to function in the real world. And they go back and they just do something to get put back in prison because that's what they know. That's the dysfunction of familiar versus the freedom. I think all of us do that in some ways. Maybe not to those extremes. Maybe for you it is one of those really extremes, but maybe for you it's like growing up in a family where it's just a lot of sarcasm and negativity. And so like as your family grows up and you have a family, there's just a sense of sarcasm and negativity because it feels comfortable. Like this is just how we relate with each other. Shut up, stupid. You know, because there's comfort in that. You know, it's like for some reason um, it's familiar, even though it's not right, right? Even though it's broken. Um, See, we can be just like Israelites. <laughs> Even though we experience salvation, we can still go back to that thing that broke us in the beginning. It's like, why do we do that? Why do we do that? That's the sin nature inside of us. That's that familiar. That, that, that's that thing that's like, you know what? I, I, I'm going to make some choices that are different here. I don't want to go back to that brokenness, even though it feels comfortable, even though I know what to expect when I'm living in that messiness, because that's where I've been. Instead, I'm going to choose a different path. And the reality is when we receive salvation, for some of us in this room, maybe it took you 20, 30, 40, 50 years to get to that point. So you've spent that whole time in brokenness and in cycles. I'm telling you, when you accept Jesus and he frees you from slavery to sin, it's going to take a little bit of time free to break out of those thoughts, those processes, those hurts, hang-ups. And so don't expect, boom, I got saved. Everything's going to be great. Woohoo! Shoot, right? Like, you're going you're gonna to bump up against your familiar again. And then you have a choice. The Israelites, in this point in the story, they had a choice. They wanted to go back to familiar. At least we would have had pots of meat. They glorified it, right? It's like, at least we would, oh man, remember the pots of meat would hang around? That was so awesome. Oh yeah, you remember the bricks that we had to make every day? <laughs> you know, like, they weren't, re- they weren't remembering the whole story. They are remembering what they would glorify. And, um, and yet God wants to take us on a path of freedom from that, okay? Is everybody with me on that? There's this propensity to pull us back to familiar, over pushing us towards freedom. We have to choose perseverance. I'm gonna keep one step, one step, and even if it's one step, one step, I'm going to keep persevering. I'm going to keep walking on this journey that God has for me towards that promised land. Whatever it is, whatever this fulfillment is, I'm going to let God be the one that defines it, not me. I'm going to push back against what's familiar and broken and push more into what God has for me in freedom. That's the journey of growth. It's this fancy word that we use around here called progressive sanctification. God is on a process of growing you, and that does not look like a straight line to holiness. It's more like a roller coaster ride <laughs> to Jesus, right? I'm doing great. I love it. Oh, crap. Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing it. Right? Like, that's what it looks like. And there's a journey in that process that God takes us on, which leads me to the second thing. Okay? Point number two is that on that journey, we have choices, right? On that journey of freedom, just like the Israelites, we're going to get back in the story in a moment, we have choices on the journey. And the reality is that my choices lead to one or two things. My choices on the journey to freedom will either lead to more trust 
or more brokenness, one or the other. And there's kind of really not a middle ground on this one. Like, we're either going towards one or the other. And that's where the Israelites were right now. It's like, okay, you brought us out here to die. What's going to happen next, Moses? What are you going to do to take care of us? Because we're all, there's no food, there's no water, there's, we're all going to die. Thank you, Moses. So they were, were not really living in the trust land, and they're still in the brokenness. Let's go back to the familiar, and then, and then God responds, okay? Because the way it says in verse 4, <clears throat> Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. <laughs> this is so cool. You guys heard this part of the story? It's called manna from heaven. He's like, I tell you what, um, this is better than Amazon, okay? You don't even have to order it. You don't even have to click a button on repeat or subscribe. Like, I will do it all for you. I will send bread down from heaven for all you people, okay? And then he says, the people are to go out each day and gather enough for, I want you to pay very careful attention. They're to go out each day. How, how often? Each day, so every day they're going out, and gather enough for what? For that day. That day alone. So I'm going to send it every morning. You go out, you get enough for that day alone. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. <laughs> this, is, this is a tricky one right here, because God's like, I, he's trying to show them, I am your God. I'm your Lord. I have it covered. I can even just, boop, bread, all right? That's me, and you're going to get it every morning. Boop, bread. Or it's, it wasn't really bread. It was like a thin bread kind of thing, and some people kind of have some ideas of what it was, but he provided food for them, manna, from heaven. And so they had choices every day, like when they went out. Now, the first few days, they went out, they collected. It's like they woke up, and there was this, like, the stuff on the ground. Like, what is this? And they started collecting it, and, um, and they said, okay, all of you just collect enough for your household for that day okay collect it up and eat it throughout the day he said don't take any more don't take extra for tomorrow and then one caveat he says but on the sixth day every sixth day collect enough for the seventh day because the seventh day i want you to rest i don't want you to work at all you're my people i want to teach you that i rested on the seventh day when i built all this stuff and made all this stuff i want you to rest once out of the week and so on that day, collect enough for the next day. But that's it. Every other day, just enough for that day. And, and so God tested them. So they started collecting, and some people were like, I don't know. What would you have done? If you had a household, you have some youngins, maybe you have a, some toddlers that are always hungry because they're growing, and you're like, eh, maybe I'll grab just a little extra. And that's what some of them did. They're like, okay, I'll grab enough for today, and then I'll he's looking right i'll put some in this jar we'll put that in the cupboard okay we'll save that for tomorrow and what would happen is the next day they'd go back to that extra that they saved and it'd be full of maggots it was unedible it was rotten and what god was trying to teach him is like i told you i'll give you enough for today you don't need to worry about tomorrow why because i'm in tomorrow too tomorrow will be today and then i'll say i'll do that what i said today i'll do it again tomorrow because tomorrow then will be today you can trust me God's trying to prove his faithfulness to them, that I am your Lord, I am here, and you can trust me. You can trust me in this. They had seen God's miracles up until that point, right? Except at this point, they saw God like provide clean water for them that was sour water. They, they walked around on dry land through the Red Sea, and God saved them from Egypt. Like they saw God do some pretty miraculous things up until this moment. And you would think, the knuckleheads, wouldn't they just know that God's going to do it? He said it. 
He's, look at all he's done so far. But still, still, trust is a hard thing, isn't it? Having faith, it's difficult. It's difficult. They saw God's miracle in the past, but they had just such a hard time trusting him in the present. And even harder, thinking about the future. Where is this land we're going to? He's just keeping us here and going to feed us every day? Like, what is this? What is this? It got worse for the Israelites. You move ahead to the book of Numbers, chapter 14, because they finally get to the edge of the promised land. And you don't have to read it. I'm just going to share with you what happens real quick. They get to the edge of the promised land. And God promised them, this is your place. They sent out 12 spies into the land to check it out. Go out and scout, see what the land's like, see what the cities and all that kind of stuff are. And so they go out, they find like amazing land, like fortified cities. They find these giants that live in the land. Um, and they find like tons of grapes and fruits and all sorts of stuff. It says it's the land flowing of milk and honey, which milk is like a sustenance and honey is like a sweetness. And it's like it has everything you need. They come back to the people, these 12 spies, and they report back to the leaders and say, hey, um, there's really good stuff. Here's some of the fruit. Here's some. I mean, this, this, this land is good. He says, but we shouldn't go there. Ten out of the 12 spies say, the, the, the giants are too big. These cities are too fortified. Like, there's no way we can take over this land with us. We can't do it. We should wait. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, were like, what are you thinking? Do you not remember what all God just did for us? <laughs> like, don't, do you not understand that God just gave us food every day from heaven? That God, the one that like parted the Red Sea. Do you remember this God? And, and so they're like saying, no, we should go take what God has given us. And yet the leaders choose to not. To not go into the land, to not go into where God told them to, and this ticked God off. If you think that God has no anger, God has righteous anger. He does. When things aren't right, he can get angry. He's justified in it. He's God. And he was ticked off at these people. I mean, it's like, I told you, go into the land. I told you, it's right there. And you all are saying, no, we're not doing it. See, when God says go and you say no, get ready for the consequences. Because there will be some. And there were for the Israelites. They did not choose to trust God. They chose to trust their fear. And it led to brokenness. Fear leads to brokenness. Brokenness is when we do something against God's promise and his word, we break parts of our relationship with him. That's what sin does. Remember that? Sin breaks things. It breaks relationship. And God was like, well, this generation obviously doesn't want to be in the promised land, so y'all aren't going to see the promised land. And he said, y'all are going to wander for 40 years until this generation dies. I'll let the next one in. Dang it, right? Oh, shucks. You know, we, we were that close. But what I'm telling you is the power of choices, Right? We have choices on the journey and the path of freedom. And I think for so many people, fear controls your behavior. Everybody with me on that? It was interesting. We, we have a teaching team, and, and there's a group of us that talk every single Tuesday and, and work on the message together. And in this teaching team, um, they were talking about what they were talking about in their small groups, and a lot of them were talking about fear, like how fear controls um, them, that fear holds them back from doing the things that God would want them to. And, and I believe that's what the Israelites were like. Our fear of the, the land, our fear that we can't do this, our fear that we can't att attack these giants, their fear held them from God's promise. And fear, when it controls your behavior on that journey of freedom, will take you back to the familiar every time. 
And familiar will lead you to the brokenness you experienced in the past. I'm wondering if that's where you're at on your journey this morning. Is that you? Are you letting fear control you on your journey to freedom that's taking you back to the familiar of brokenness? I want you to have some hope this morning. I want you to experience some hope this morning. We need to choose perseverance. And as we choose perseverance, we choose to walk into freedom and out of fear. I want to say it right because I wrote it down, but I didn't put a slide. But your spiritual growth is directly connected to the level of your faith in God. Did you hear that? How much do you practically trust Him? Your faith in God is directly connected to the growth spiritually in your life. Where's your faith? There's your growth. Where's your fear? There's your loss. And God's saying, jump over it. <laughs> Get over your fear. Be like Joshua and Caleb and say, no, I've seen what God's done in the past. Let's go. Let's take this land. I've seen where we've been in the past. I want to walk into freedom. I want to experience the freedom, not the slavery back in Egypt. I want what God wants. I want to be fulfilled. And we got to walk into that freedom and walk out of fear. We cannot let fear control us any longer. We're free. Amen? So, my choices lead to one of two things. Either trust, my faith grows, or brokenness. I go back to the familiar. Let's not be like the Israelites and wander in the desert for 40 years. I know believers today who are still wandering. They came to Jesus, and then they walked away. And they're wondering, well, why am I not living fulfilled? Because he went back to the land of slavery. Let's keep walking. Let's keep walking. Now, I want to give you some good news. Everybody like good news? No. Does everybody like good news? Yeah? yeah? Okay. Good. Because I'm going to give it to you, all right? Because this is my last point is that God's perfect love casts out my fear. The three steps or the three parts of the journey of freedom is that I want to go back to familiar, but I shouldn't. I, want, I need to walk more into freedom. I, I can let fear control me, and it's going to either control me and lead me to brokenness, or I'm going to choose trust and walk in faith of what God said he's going to do. And I'm going to let God be the one that actually cuts out my fear. I'm going to be... I'm going to let God's presence, His love for me, cast out the fear in my life. And that's His promise. Going to the New Testament now, in 1 John. Maybe you've heard this verse before. 1 John 4, 16, and then verse 18, it says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. I love that sentence. We have come to know it, like we've experienced it. We, we have it in our life. We know it, and we have believed in this love that God has for us. We know it in our heads, and now we, we, we embrace it. We embrace this love in our life. God is love, and the one who abides or rests in love rests in God, and God rests in him. God is love. We rest in God. We rest in his love. It's in us. He gives it to us. He says, then, listen very carefully, there is no, what? There is no fear in love. But perfect 
love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. You all following this? It's saying God is love. That's who he is. We come to know it and we believe it. We're Christ followers. God loves me. And because I know that, I cannot be afraid because God's perfect love for me casts out that fear. He loves me no matter what. And so when I walk into him, he's loving me. Fear is going away. My faith is growing and increasing, and it is what God does in you and in me. He does it. That's the good news. <laughs> the good news is you don't have to do it. You don't have to be like, okay, fear, no fear, no fear. I'm, I'm going to stop being afraid. I'm not going to fear anymore. Because what are you thinking about every time you think about your fear? Your fear. You're thinking about what you're afraid of, and so that grows in your mind instead of God loves me. His love covers me. He loves me no matter what. Where's your focus? God is love. And as you walk into his love, his love casts out fear. Casts out fear. I love talking about that this week. Because growing is hard. It just is. Whether you're young or you're old, growing is always hard. It's not easy. And as we grow, and as it is hard... Um, we will face battles, and so many of those battles are the battles of our mind. It's how we think. And so many times, we, we wrestle with stinking thinking, right? We go back to that land of slavery in our thought process. And, and God's saying, no, no, okay, let's, let's take this captive. Um, I love, Pastor, uh, Pastor Jim was talking about this whole process. He's our counselor. I mean, he's just, he, he's gifted. God uses him in so many ways to counsel people. And he was talking about how when he's working with people who have fears that rise up, um, that the best way to get past fear is to put it into the court of your mind. I'm like, okay, explain that a little bit. Like, how does that work? It's like, for you to get past fear, you need to name it. What is it that you are afraid of? And just as if you were hiring an attorney and taking that fear to court to prove it wrong— that's what you need to have in your mind. I'm taking that fear. I'm naming it. I'm going to take it to the court in my mind. God will be on the throne in that, as judge in that courtroom. And I'm going to put that fear on trial. And, I, and in this trial, I'm going, to, I'm going to just let all the truth about that fear come out. Whatever it is. Whatever I've experienced in my past. I'm going to bring it to the front. And as you do that, that fear loses its power in your life because you're calling it for what it is and you're putting it before the judge who's going to call it what it is. It's a lie. It's not true. That fear needs to go away in the presence of God's love. And so the question, when you bring fears to the court in your mind with God, is this. Oh no, did I not put it up here? Write this down. Seriously, because some of you need to use this today. Here's the question you ask that fear when it's on trial. How does this fear stand up to God's love for me? How does this fear stand up to God's love for me? You know what the answer is? It can't. It's gone. That's God's judgment. 
Perfect love casts out fear. It can't stand. And so when we put it into court in our mind and we say, no, okay, so let's, let me get all the truth of this fear out there. And then let me ask the question, how does that fear stand up to God's love for me? Now, some of you, here's the problem. You don't believe God loves you, like truly in your heart of hearts. You know he does. Like you're kind of like, okay, God is love. But really, you can't receive it and accept it. You can't like receive God's love and all its beauty, all of its like forgiveness, all of his, his perfection over you. Like you have a hard time doing that. So for you, you kind of justify it. Yeah, but I still can be afraid, right? It's like, no, 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 no. You need to receive the perfection of God's love perfected in you. He loves you no matter what. He loves you no matter what you have done today. He loves and accepts you because of who he is, not because of who you are. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough to get it. I say it all the time. Do you know why? I feel like we all need reminded every week. (laughs) He just beautifully loves you. And he says, with that perfect love, and you put fear on on the stand, it can't stand up. The Israelites, it took a long time. And actually, they went back cycle after cycle through the whole Old Testament where they chose fear over faith. They chose faith in other things over faith in God. And it continually led not to trust, but to brokenness. What path will you choose today? What path are you on today? Are you on the path of growth? Are you on the path where God's taken sin out of you? He's already forgiven you. He's taken you out of the land of sin. Now are you letting him take sin out of you and helping you grow? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these promises. These these promises are good. They are so rich and they're so deep. And I'm so grateful that you are a God of promise. This morning, God, I don't know what everybody's experience is this morning, but I know you've said something to everybody in this room. That's the work of the Spirit. That's what you do. And so each of us, God, have something that we need to hear from you in this time of challenge and response. Some of us this morning need to put fear on trial in your presence. And, and even put that fear on trial and having some friends be witnesses to the trial (laughs) that we bring some other people and say hey help me and pray for me because I'm putting this on trial I'm just going to ask God in this time just say whatever you need to say help us be open to listen I I want us to take some time and I always have questions for us to just wrestle with and this is just personal time between you and God as we kind of process what we've heard and what we've learned. Here's my first question. How have you chosen comfort rather than growth? How have you chosen comfort rather than growth spiritually? What, what ways have you gone back to the familiar rather than towards freedom? I want you to name it and think about it, okay? Where are you doubting God in the present? Where are you doubting God in the present today? The prayer is, God, increase my faith, right? 
increase my faith in this? And what fear do you need to put on trial today? Now, somebody in this room, maybe you have not even taken the first step in these promises. Because the first step before any of these other, before the journey starts, is for you to be saved. (laughs) It's for God to save you. And he already has done everything for that. And if you have not started a spiritual journey, if you have not started in a real relationship with God this morning, I want to help you. And I want you to walk into that this morning. And last week we talked about these three things to repent, believe, and confess. That's what we're told in the New Testament when we walk into a relationship with God, when we walk into the first promise, connect, to connect with God and salvation. He's done it all. You can't do any of it. He sent Jesus down from heaven. He didn't tell us to get good enough to climb up. And, and when Jesus then was here on this earth, he showed us how to live, how to walk, and then he died innocently without sin on the cross to be the penalty, to pay the penalty for your sin, my sin, before God once and for all. Three days later, he conquered even death itself and he rose again. And when he rose again, he proved who he is, the Messiah, the Savior. And we're told when we choose to repent, which is just turning our gaze from our sin to God. It's saying, I don't want to walk this way anymore. I don't want to walk back to Egypt. I don't want to walk back to slavery. I want to walk towards freedom. That's repenting. And it says, believe. We have to believe in our own heart that Jesus is who he says he is. That he is the Son of God. That's on us. Nobody else can do that for you. That's you. And then it says, confess. Words got to come out of our mouths. We got to say what's inside of us and confess it to him. God, I want you in my life. I want salvation. I want the gift I want to start a relationship with you and you have to confess that to him. Then you get to start on the path of freedom. Okay? So this morning, we're going to take some time to respond. We're going to sing a song. And the song is a proclamation that we are no longer slave to fear. It's a proclamation, and some of you really need to hear this, that you're a child of God. You're his. You're a son, you're a daughter, and he loves you. So let's stand together, church, as we take this time to respond. And, and I want us all to pray together. And if you need to take a step of faith and you need to jump into salvation, I want you to pray with me in this moment, okay? It's got to be your own words. This is no special pastor prayer, all right? It's not like repeat after pastor, I'm in heaven. Woo, that's how it works, all right? It's your own confession, your own belief in who Jesus is. And so if you want to step into that relationship, you can pray this with me out loud. Make it your own words. And, uh, and all of us in this room, let God continue to speak as we take this time to respond. But if you want to start a relationship, you can say this. You can say, God, thank you for sending Jesus, your one and only son. I believe he is your son and that he did die on the cross for my sins. It should have been me. And I believe he rose again and he's alive today. And God, I just want to give you my life. I ask for your forgiveness now And forever, I want to be yours. Please come into my life. Lead me on this path of freedom. And teach me your ways, God. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. And then for the rest of us, God, I pray that as we take this time to respond and sing to you and worship you and proclaim who we are in your presence, God, that we're not slaves any longer. We're in the land of freedom, that nothing controls us but you. 
and that we don't want anything else to control us. And as we put fear on the stand and we proclaim truth over it, set us free, God. Set us free in this time as we worship you. Let's let God speak as we sing together.